0: Brian, thanks for jumping on. Uh how how do we get this started? Um we we discussed a little bit about the weather. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a lot uh lot warmer down there than it is up here at the moment. Hence why I'm well, sitting here in a jacket because the windows don't shut that well in this
1: office and uh, you're down there in a t-shirt. <laughs> well I think I think what, what we sort of like uh what I was thinking about is I was quite envious of the environment that you're currently in because if i was there in stark mate like uh and it was freezing cold i'd I'd definitely be sitting in that water for a fair bit of my day mate so actually i'm actually reasonably jealous mate so whilst it might be like 33 degrees out here um i'll take that freezing cold water in the english channel any any day of the week mate (laughs) so
0: so yeah, like talk talk us through this. You're you're jealous of the cold climate where everyone wants to be getting to the warm climate, getting into the tropical. Why why are you jealous about having um, something close enough to an ice bath uh, surrounding your 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 home?
1: Well, one thing that like I would say is that I don't think we should ever be dictated by the weather. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's one thing I'd say for sure. Okay, like people like like their whole mood and their, and and like their behavior is determined whether it's like sunny outside or like more for me. And, you know, me, I'm quite analytical person. I'll be sitting there like analyzing that and going like, okay, so why is the person only happy when it's hot outside and it's sunny And, you know, me personally, I'd probably say, well, that's some sort of serotonin issue, okay? And actually they might want to, uh, you know, try to realign their biochemistry and that would probably make them appreciate like colder weather. And So that's one thing I want to put out there, okay? Like we should – our mood and our behaviour should not be determined by the weather, okay? Um, But why do I gravitate towards like, you know, cold weather? Um, Just because like ice therapy, cold therapy – uh, and if we're just talking about, you know, like a medicinal tool, okay, that has so many like positive biochemical, you know, impacts within the human body, like out of all the tools that I use, like one of them that would be right up there for me, okay, would be ice therapy. I uh, just, it's just so multifaceted, you know, we talk about like mitochondrial density. Well, ice therapy's got that covered, yeah, okay, because uh, it helps with a like, particular protein okay like pgc number one and that's all to do with mitochondrial density okay so it covers that okay helping with people who've got like suppressed immune systems okay like helping like increasing things like lymphocytes and neutrophils and monocytes okay well it does that yeah okay helping with the lymphatic system covers that aspect yeah okay um helping with like boosting up testosterone now yes i know the research was based on you know, the Thrombosis Research Institute, and that was based on cold showers, okay? But what it, what they obviously noticed was there was a raise in, you know, 491% with, like, sperm count, yeah, okay? So if it's raising the sperm count that much, I mean, obviously it's got to have a benefit to something like testosterone. I, I also, like, in science, and I'm sure you're the same, Keese, I sometimes I like to use logic. I think like we've gone further and further away from logic, okay, everything's got to be like backed up with some sort of research paper, okay. Now, if I just look at function of the human body, okay, and if we look actually look at it like if, if I get in cold weather, okay, or I get in like in an ice tub or I get in cold water, what happens with your balls? I mean, they go up, yeah, okay. Now, yeah. if I'm sitting in a, in a hot tub, okay, and we're sitting in a hot bath, okay, what happens with your balls? I mean, they sag, okay. Now, when I get sexually aroused, okay, I don't know about you, but my balls go up. Yeah, okay. Like they shrink. Yeah, okay. So once again, like logic would say to us, okay, so if I get in cold water, okay, and when I get sexually aroused, I mean, of course, you're increasing testosterone. Of course, you're increasing sperm count. Okay. So when I get in an ice bath, okay, when I get in like a cold environment, is that raising my sperm count? and Is that raising my testosterone? Okay. Like, I don't know if you heard about the stories of like, you know, Russian Olympic weightlifters. And, you know, like in like when they when, when they were training, they would go like in the middle of winter, they would go like drop their pants and like sit down in like the freezing cold snow to try and like raise their like testosterone count. Yeah. Okay. So like, yeah, like me personally, like this, like we've gone quite far away from logic in that instance. Do you know what I mean? So I look at that and there's obviously the the benefit with uh with the testosterone yeah, okay you know benefit obviously reducing like a lot of the pro-inflammatory activity then that stops us from producing a lot of like anti-inflammatory mediators which means we bring down the inflammatory load okay and like for me like ice therapy from a performance perspective okay now a lot of the time we're using it post to reduce the inflammatory load in that but me personally i would use it pre because i'm sure you probably agree with it one of the factors that's probably going to stop you from performing is like inflammatory load. Okay. Like yeah, I'm not, like, yeah, not, not telling I'm not, I'm not telling you to use it like right before you go out and play some, you know, you know, like professional sport or something like that. But there's a time frame that you could use it a little bit early in the day to reduce the inflammatory load to actually actually help with performance. So I oh, look, I know I went on a bit of a rant there, okay, but there's 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 so many different reasons that I like. I love cold therapy, okay, so many. And like even, you know, a big thing for a lot of people is like weight loss, body composition, okay, like obviously one of the best things to increase BAT, brown out of post tissue, okay, is ice therapy. You increase a particular protein called UPC number one, uncoupling protein, okay. Now, uncoupling protein, they've actually shown in people who are obese, they have lower levels of UPC number one. Okay, so they actually have lower levels of bat. Okay. And obviously bat is higher in like mitochondria. Okay. So it's higher in energy. Okay. And so, you know, doing ice therapy is one of the best ways to increase UPC number one. Help with insulin resistance, leptin resistance. So, you know, if we want to talk something about talk about something a little bit more superficial like body composition, okay, like one of my one of my go-to tools to actually help with that would be ice therapy. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, is is body composition really superficial, Dave, or is it? Is it a pretty, you know, is it one of the things that's a, you know can be a good indicator of uh, what's going on at a at a cellular level? Depending on how you get there, but in my mind, like if you're ripped, I mean, you can do it the wrong way, and there probably can be a lot of stress and and, and things in the system and downregulating hormones and. There's a point where it's where it's probably a crazy thing and you know there's negative but generally even if you had to get there in in the craziest way probably going to be healthier than someone who's obese is that fair to say or it's 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 a bit of a funny hypothesis or hypothetical
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's i I'd say it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky one it's a tricky one because you're like I get plenty of people who come to me and I, I would look at it and say, like, you know, they're lean, they're ripped, they've got great body composition, okay, but their internal environment, their biochemistry, their, their gut yeah. lining, their microbiome balance is, like, completely broken, mm-hmm. okay? It's, like, completely broken. So I can look at it from an aesthetic perspective and can, we could say, rule of thumb, more people who are leaner, okay, uh, and, and and obviously, you know, look healthier and so forth, well, generally, their internal environment we could say is going to be obviously a lot better than someone who's obese and morbidly obese. Okay, but the one thing I'll say is that, like, the aesthetic aspect doesn't always associate with a good internal, healthy environment. Does that make sense? Okay, so like you know, like, the, I think that's the, you know, it's- if
0: there's if there's gut discomfort, if the brain's not working that well, then it's not all it's not all it's cracked up to be looking great in the mirror. If 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 you don't you, know, you don't yeah, feel you don't have sexual function you don't
1: have digestive function 100, yeah 100 percent I'd also say like with body composition and didn't think I didn't think this would be something we'd talk about mate, yeah okay um but with something like body composition I'd also say like a lot of the time when I'm looking at like you know people and that like let's say they've got really good body composition it's also like if you're doing the right things it's sustainable like good body yeah. composition is sustainable yeah okay You understand it's not sustainable if I've got like pathogens and bad bacteria and and gut dysbiosis and all that. Like at some point, okay, the body composition is going to take a turn for the worse. You know what I mean? And so this is where you get these people like their body composition might be good for a period of time, okay, and then they really can't maintain it. They really can't sustain it, okay? So the one thing I would say with like body composition, if you're maintaining good internal environment, okay, the one thing I know with myself, okay, is this, that I just maintain good body composition. Okay, yeah. cuz like for me it's just like just look after that, okay? Like even like recently and you know this because obviously you know I separated away from my business and you know we we had a highly stressful year like I'm sure a lot of like a lot of people did last year, okay? But we personally had a really highly stressful year and separating away from sort of like my baby was really emotional for me, okay? And guess what? Like my training went out the window. Okay? My training just went out the window and I I'm, I'm okay with that. Okay, because it just like I had other things that were just a high priority in the moment in time. Okay, but guess what? Because of a lot of the other things that I do around it, and I still maintain things like ice therapy, it was irregular for me. Okay, obviously, what I'm putting in my body. Okay, how much do you think that really compromised my body composition? Like, Not not that much at all. Like, I'm still lean. Okay, like a lot of people go, my guy looks like so healthy for his age and so forth. Because once again, okay, it's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining a good internal environment. I'm looking at like, as long as I'm looking after that. Yeah. Okay. Like the body composition just comes along with that. Yeah. Okay. Like when I, like once again, when I'm looking at a Keeks, okay, I'm looking at, I just go, you know what, this person, they just all, always maintain good body composition. Okay. And I would look at that and I go, I bet you if I start to look internally what's going on with that individual, I bet you most of the time, like their biochemistry, what's going on with their gut and so forth for the for the for the majority of the time is pretty good yeah what do you think is like default
0: you know because a lot of people as soon as you start to, like a lot of people will be like oh that's too you know that's too lean it's unhealthy to be really lean um what do you think is like the default kind of range of you know our ancestors or or people who were thriving in the past you know not the ones that were Starving for trying to steal a loaf of bread that ended up in Australia, you know the the convicts and whatnot. But what do you think is the the default, like from your understanding of the history and you know what the early explorers saw and that
1: sort of stuff? Yeah, like in terms of like like is the question around like what is like a what is a healthy like body composition sort of? Uh, yeah, I just think it's so hard to to see it in the modern world because to me
0: it looks like. of the population is overly fat, you know, like not obese or overweight, but thin on the outside, fat on the inside. Like I'd say 95% of the population is, you know, under muscled and, and overly fat. And they would probably agree with that. Like there's a small percentage of society that is not in that category. And then as you say, like out of that other three to 5%, there are a bunch of them who don't like they're using prescription drugs or their guts aren't working or they take a lot of drugs or, you know, uh, recreational drugs or whatever for, for other reasons and and whatnot. Like it comes down to a pretty small percentage when you do that. But, so that, that's why I like, I like looking at the historical stuff, um, you know, the Weston A. Price and, and what the early explorers saw and things like that, because it's like, it's almost like the current data's all junk because we live in you know we live in the zoo we live in this crazy built up environment that's so foreign to humans as much like there's so much good stuff as well like we're chatting across the world it's not all bad but as far as health and just what environments humans thrive in like we've we've messed with that stuff pretty badly so yeah that's why i guess i'm asking like stripping it back like what 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 would we have looked like you know um or what is the optimal now for that few percent you yeah. actually Themselves a human
1: environment, yeah. You know? Yeah, look, it's look, it's a great question. Uh, like, and I also think like a, a good point to 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 get across is that I think what we've what we also find acceptable from that perspective, okay, is just always like increasing, okay. Like, like so, for instance, we might have said like the acceptable sort of body fat percentage for you know a male was would probably around like ten percent, okay, like ten percent body fat, but as as we know, because the po- the population's got unhealthier over time, okay, and then we just base it on the averages, and then we go, well, okay, so you know we're seeing that twenty percent is the average, and yes, that might well be the average, okay, but all of a sudden now we've taken it from ten percent to twenty percent, okay. So I would I would say like what we're setting as the acceptable is just like increasing all the time, uh, and that and that and that that's not just for men, that's also for women. Do you know what I mean, like because like I, I think that acceptable sort of percentage is also increasing. Okay. And the one thing I know, like just like looking after someone's internal environment and making sure that you do have like better gut lining structure, you have better microbiome diversity, yeah, okay? Like the, the, the internal biochemistry like is operating a lot better, making sure you have the right like micronutrient support and macronutrient support and so forth. Like I actually say that your body composition, okay. And that would that may have been you know closer to what would it what it would have been like when we were living in that environment. Okay. Because obviously the you know exposed to less pollutants and chemicals, like like the obviously the allostatic load and the stress load was a lot less. Okay. And obviously the, you know, the especially the soil, because I think the soil is such a big factor here. Okay. Uh, you know, and the nutrient density of the soil and the microbiome diversity of the soil, and so forth, in terms of what we were getting exposed to, okay, was just so better back then, okay. That would that have have had a, like a better, uh, you know, uh, reaction to like things like body composition and less inflammatory load. Because I one one point that I would get across here, keys, okay. When we talk about like your adipocytes or your adipose cells, okay, or your, or your fat cells, okay. So we can talk about what they always talk about, like, because obviously you've got receptors on your fat cells for epinephrine, no epinephrine, like stress hormones, okay? And we can talk about things like glucagon and insulin, so blood sugar. And I would say, I'm sure you would agree with it, they're the things that get talked about all the time, okay? Regulate the blood glucose and then influence stress hormones, okay? But if I take, you know, those, those adipocytes and those fat cells, okay, those also got receptors for estrogen, Okay, on those fat cells. I've also got receptors for pro-inflammatory proteins on those fat cells, interleukin 6 and TNF alpha. I've also got receptors for gut hormones on those fat cells. Okay. I've also got receptors for thyroid hormones, TSH, okay, T3, T4 on those fat cells. Yeah. Okay. So the point that I'm getting across, okay, is if we've got if we've got more of these factors like poor gut health okay exposure like the inflammatory load is higher yeah okay things that are dysregulating my estrogen okay is there going to be more things playing on those adipose cells and those adipocytes okay and so how many things are playing like an influence on things like fat mobilization and body composition just just, like and if we compare that back to like ancestral days and so forth okay would we have had that same that similar sort of load does that make sense okay and so that's what I say to people. is just like it's not as simple as just like oh okay I just like I'll, I'll just use something to regulate their blood glucose and I'll just like raise their stress hormones and they're just going to be more efficient at fat mobilization and fat burn. Okay, like no, because I've got to influence so many other things. Okay, to actually help that per- person be more efficient from that perspective. Okay, so to answer your question, okay, would we have been more efficient back in those days when we just didn't have so many things that were influencing? So many factors of like adipose cells and adipocytes.
0: Yep. Yeah. You mentioned toxicity there as well, Dave. Like, this is another one that uh, is kind of like a, a trigger point, or, you know, most people in the fat loss research, especially in the fitness space, they'll sort of tell you, you know, you might get the idea that it's woo woo to talk about toxins increasing fat loss, you know, when everyone wants to people you know the, the, the dominant paradigm is calories in calories out or you know macros and you know you must create a caloric, caloric deficit so simplifying it down to the stupid uh is, is kind of an, an issue with this like what is the what is the mechanism
1: that toxicity would I- influence fat loss yeah like if like try to make it like as simple as like simple as simple to understand yeah okay like like obviously when we're dealing with like plastics and heavy metals, okay, like we're dealing with like you know xeno z, like xenoestrogens, okay? And so like like it comes back to what I was talking about with those adipocytes, yeah, okay. And and so obviously mimicking estrogen, yeah, okay. And if like if we're talking about these xenoestrogens and then they're mimicking estrogen, and then I've got receptors for estrogen on my on my fat cells, okay, is it fair to say that? potentially like these plastics and these heavy metals and these 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 chemicals are going to have some influence on my adipocytes and my adipose cells okay like so it's a contributing factor does that make sense yeah okay um but you know i'm not because everyone focuses and say well we have the capacity to clear the plastics and the heavy metals yeah okay and and yes we do okay but it's just not it's not that straightforward as well yeah okay because I would actually pose like a, a a big problem for a lot of people, okay? And, you know, some people can have some underlying like gene mutation, not necessarily going to go too far down that realms, but they might have like underlying things like methylation issues, okay? The MTHFR gene defect, there's like 50 different variants of that gene. Yeah, okay? Um, so it's a complex metabolic process. Yeah, okay? 30% of white Caucasian people carry some variant of that gene mutation, okay? And that means they've got sluggish detoxification pathways. And so so their ability to clear certain things like heavy metals and so forth can be compromised to a certain extent. Does that make sense? Okay. And then there's other gene mutations, okay, like glutathione gene mutations, okay? And once again, that that leaves you more prone to things like oxidative stress and so forth, okay? So, and the other big thing that I would pose, okay, is if I've got like underlying like gastrointestinal issues, then you know me, it's the big thing for me okay, because I'm just saying why like so many Westerners, okay, have problems with the epithelium and the mucosal cells that line areas like the blood-brain barrier, okay, like the lungs, the stomach lining, the small intestine, the large intestine, okay. Well, the way to look at it, yeah, okay, is if I've got these gastrointestinal issues and then they, then I've got the bacterial overgrowth because the bacteria is taking advantage of the compromised environment and then they're releasing more bacterial byproducts into my system, okay, a lot of the compounds that you need to actually help with things like the conjugation pathway, like phase two liver detoxification to help you to clear things like plastics and heavy metals. Guess what? A lot of those things like glutathione, like the master antioxidant, are being used to clear a lot of those bacterial byproducts, which basically means you're taxing your glutathione pools. Okay? And then when you get ex- ex- when you get exposed to things like plastics and heavy metals and you've depleted your glutathione pools, Could that potentially compromise your ability to efficiently clear a lot of these xenobiotics and xenoestrogens efficiently? Does that make sense? Because I can take this person here, okay, and let's say they've got gut dysbiosis, they've got bacterial issues, and all these types of things. This person here doesn't have those issues. Put them in an environment where they're getting exposed to the plastics and the heavy metals, okay? Um, And then who's going to have the better ability to clear a lot of these? The, the, these chemicals, okay, like the, these plastics and these heavy metals, it's going to be the person that does not have the gastrointestinal issues. Does that make sense, okay? But take this person, okay, who's got these problems, and then their capacity to clear those things is compromised. And so, basically, what does that mean, Keeks? A lot of these things start to accumulate in the system, yeah. okay, and then they start to accumulate in the system, not only potentially causing problems with, you know, the adipocytes and adipose cells, but also now. They can potentially permeate up through the blood-brain barrier and cause problems like neurodegenerative diseases. Does that make sense? So yeah, and and like what I really say is like a lot of people go, you know, um, like clean eating, like it's you know it's such a big conversation. I go, there's more reason to eat clean today than ever before. Okay, because you know this. Okay, if I go out and even if I eat wild caught fish okay is there a good chance that i'm going to get exposed to like things like plastics so i can eat the cleanest fish okay and i'm still because because obviously even the small fish now are eating things like the plastic filaments they're in the small filaments of the plastics okay and obviously a lot of these things they're stored within their fat cells and we're consuming these things okay they are good for you they're healthy for you but then we're getting exposed to the plastics okay and that's and that's if we eat healthy I'm not, like, trying to be, like, doom and gloom and pessimistic here, okay? But that's what I'm saying, like, there's more reason to eat clean than ever before because even if you eat clean, you're still going to get exposed to these, these compounds.
0: So when you when you say clean, what are you, you know? Yeah, so, so I, look,
1: I'd be, ref, I'd be referring to things like wild-caught fish, okay, like organic, yeah, okay, uh, organic meat, yeah, okay like there's just more reason to try and get it from the best source possible okay because like you, you, even if you start to look at like you know deficiency or certain nutrients and soils i mean what do they say like if i just look at something like zinc they say about 49 percent of the world agricultural soils are deficient in zinc okay so if i'm not really getting it from You know, like uh, like a good source where the soil quality is better, okay. Because people just go, they look up Wikipedia and they go, "This is really high in zinc," okay. But just to understand, that's really dependent on the soil quality.
0: Can you yeah, what like can you explain? You know what's going on with the soil and and why soil matters to the content nutrient content of plants? Because I I hadn't even looked at a lot of this stuff. You know, like it it was was. You know, I've been thinking about training for a long time before I thought about any of this. And I think probably a lot of coaches listening and like just thinking, wow, there's a lot of stuff here that I've I've never actually considered.
1: Like, why is why yeah, this like, so sort of- look, look, Yeah, like once again, like, and even in the, the I would say even with the, the quality of the, the minerals within the ocean, yeah, okay, because like if we really start screwing, screwing up with that, yeah, okay, like even things like shellfish and so forth, because you understand like, they're picking up a lot of the sort of like the, the the micro matter within the ocean and so forth, and that's that's what allows them to pick up a lot of these trace minerals. It's the same with the plants within the soil. Okay, so they're picking up a lot of these minerals from within the within the soil. Okay, that's obviously what's giving them the, like those plants, certain plants that that higher nutrient density. I mean, I think a great example would be something like Brazil nuts. Okay. Now, once again, Brazil nuts, like if you looked up Wikipedia, it's probably going to say Brazil nuts are one of the highest sources of something like selenium, okay, which is like a free radical scavenger, helps with the conversion of T4 to T3, okay. so, But like I would throw it back at people and say, but it's also dependent on the soil quality because when the soil quality is high, okay, the, the actual tree is picking up the nutrients from the soil and that's what actually allows the Brazil nut, okay, to actually be high in these certain types of micronutrients okay even things like phytonutrients okay well phytonutrients are part of the plant's immune system okay and it, it, it develops the phytonutrients to protect okay like the, let's say the fruit from the insects and from the you know and from the bugs that may potentially like damage and and, and obviously consume the fruit does that make sense okay but all of a sudden if i, I spray it with herbicides and pesticides okay well what do you think the fruit things that it doesn't really need to produce. It doesn't really necessarily need to produce a lot of these phytonutrients to protect it from like an immune perspective. Does that make sense? Okay. So it just doesn't develop as much of those phytonutrients. Yeah. Okay. And so just because something should be high in something is one of my big points. Okay. Doesn't necessarily mean it is because it depends on so many factors around it. Okay. And that's why we're finding nowadays because of those factors, okay, because of the poor, poor soil quality it actually might be other like even things like animal proteins that are probably higher in the selenium sources okay you know like things like goats products and sheep products you know why because the soil hasn't been turned up hasn't been disturbed yeah okay and then they're eating the grass especially things like goats they're eating the grass in areas that we wouldn't really go and we're not really going to turn up the soil and so the grass and the so forth and the plant matter that they're consuming is very high in those 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 micronutrients they're consuming it okay and then we just go well that's where we're going to get the highest source of that, okay? I actually say to a lot of people that actually, you know, something like selenium, you're probably going to get more higher concentrations of selenium out of, like, goats and sheep products, okay? Yeah, there's um, yeah. quite a lot of sheep and goats here on, on Sark. <laughs> well, yeah, you've you, you got it, mate, mate, like selenium, omega-3 fatty acids, zinc, yeah, okay? And I'm assuming they're not going around in Sark and, like, ripping up all the soil, yeah? Uh, it's pretty, it's fairly pristine. Um, you know, there's not a lot of, um,
0: there's not a lot of farming here. There's not a lot of, a lot of agriculture, it do, but it does make you think of like, what, you know, what should we be doing? What would we do? You know, if if we really wanted to help humans to thrive, you know, what would we do with the, with the food supply? And, you know, you get back to those questions of like um, sustainability and, you know, how many people can actually have access to meat um, you know,
1: based I, on a growing global population. Can I can I just talk about something that like like I'm really passionate about? I'm sure you may resonate with with this. Yeah, okay. Like, because I think it's 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 like I don't tend to heavily get into the ethical debates and all these types of things because the angle that I really love to come at, okay, is the number one goal. I think we really need to achieve first is we need to get people thriving. Yeah okay it's very very like it's very very hard to get people to make good decisions about the environment okay sustainability okay like 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 how, how do we solve these problems okay well i think we need to start with the individual we need to start with the individual because i'm telling you if you've got bad gut health okay that's affecting your neurotransmitters it's affecting your 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 neurological frame of mind and guess what you like you're not going to be necessarily bothered because you feel so bad you've got no energy you've got no libido you've got fertility issues okay do you think you're really going to be like the highest priority for that individual is going to be like how do we actually make the world a better place how do we make things more sustainable how do we you know how do we maximize food production okay i just think that that for a lot of people, because they're feeling so ordinary and they're sick, yeah, okay, and they're not feeling well, I wouldn't imagine that's one of the number one priorities in their in their mind.
0: Yeah, there's too much immediate stress and distraction, like even you know, the the physiological, you know, what we're talking about with food and health. Then you've also got all the psychological stress and financial stress, you know, the way people feel negatively about, you know, about their bodies and about. You know the so many different aspects of life. Then you know how can you how can you really create the space to think about these these bigger things? You know, people. I just I just want to get through the day. I just want to you know make sure my 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 family has food on the table, etc. Like it's a it's a yeah. I mean that's really what um, what we need to do is create that space for people where they you know, and it comes from the decision, right? So it's like, well, could everybody have access to, you know, blood testing and optimal food and whatever? Well, it comes with the desire first for people to actually have access to that. Because if there's no desire for it, then in a free market economy, in a capitalist system, then, the you know, the demand is, is what drives the market. Like it's, that needs to be there. Um And we're probably not going to, you know, solve this stuff from like a communist perspective of like, okay, everybody has this ration of food and it's going to be really healthy stuff. And no one can access the unhealthy stuff. Like people talk about taxing the sugar and whatnot. Like, no, it needs to be individuals making the decision. And then once that decision, like you can see it in Australia versus a lot of other countries, you know, Dave, like we've both traveled a lot, Australia has more healthier options and a lot more health food stores and a lot more, you know, farmer's markets and cooperatives, a lot of parts of the world, you, you, you know, you struggle to find that or it's legacy system where it's disappearing, where Australia it's actually growing and reinvigorating. And there's a lot of innovative companies that are bringing things like the, you know, freeze dried liver capsules and, and, the, and those sorts of, of products to market It's because, you know, people are listening to people like you and then, and then they go out and buy that stuff. You know, I think that's, that's a huge part of the, the solution here. Is how many people actually make the decision of I would love to experience great health. I would love to experience you know working towards my passion every day. Like um, you know you don't you and I don't work anymore because we love doing this.
1: Like, this is what we actually really want to be doing. Um, yeah, I yeah. mean, like I like like if someone said like you can go do this job and you're going to get this amount of money and you're going to do what you're doing now. Um, and I'm not going to give you like you're going to get hardly anything. I'd still do what I'm doing. Like I absolutely love what I'm doing. Like I absolutely like it. I've got like it's my purpose. It's my purpose. I'm not saying that. Like, of course, the financial side is extremely important. Okay, because it allows me to get my message and get you know um, and and empower people more by obviously getting the financial the financial gains. That make it has sense. To
0: be one or Well, it's actually. Yeah. Actually, the other way, Dave, and that's something that we get negatively programmed around as well. Like, oh, because I'm you know, because I'm doing what I my highest purpose, because I'm doing what I really want to do, I'll sacrifice you know financial success. But if you really wanted to, you know, if you were making a hundred million dollars a year, how many more people, you know, how much easier would it be to impact a lot more people, you know, with your yeah. custom app, your team of staff, and your you know, your head of American, North American operations and your head of European operations and your XYZ. So that that like, and the only way you're going to get that money is by serving more people and solving the problem better. So it's like that that programming around money, I think for a lot of coaches and a lot of people who are passionate about humans and health and that sort of thing, like, it's worth revisiting also. Like, okay, well, I probably should actually, you know, what would I do if I could generate some wealth here? Or how do I partner with people who are more money conscious and entrepreneurial? Um, You know, I know you've had, you know, you've had a big experience with that, um, you know, where you made that partnership and all partnerships come to an end at some stage, whether you know, one of the people die or you know, you make the decision to go in a different direction. But you know, the the fight the financial side is like the energy and the fuel, you know, and yeah, it's for sure. Important for yeah. people to actually identify, you know, money as energy as well as food as energy to fuel these, you know, these projects and and actually having the you know the positive impact that we that we want to have just giving other people exposure to these ideas. Like there's so much you've said already today, Dave, like if people go back, you know, if you go back and listen to what, what Dave said there and, and actually dig into it, there's so much there just in what you've shared in in this fraction of, you know, I've, I've been on weekend events, you know, where this doesn't stop, um, you know, the whole time. But the decision of like, okay, yeah, I really want to, you know, I want to know this stuff as much as I can. I want to use it as well as I can. Go as deep as I can. Like, when did you actually decide? Like, okay, this is what this is going to be my profession, as well as like, um, you know, you had to work on some stuff for yourself, and then it actually has become your what
1: you do, right? Yeah, I mean, look, look, I've 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 told my story like many times, and you know, like for me, look, I've been lucky enough to have also been surrounded by some some pretty amazing people who had some pretty amazing knowledge to share okay and and I'm sure you probably agree with me on this keys like a lot of the people that really shifted my mindset and my way of thinking in terms of how to help people and so forth like I didn't necessarily get a certificate or a degree from those those particular courses and those particular interactions okay but those people that I went and learned from like privately, did mentoring with, okay, like these people really opened my mind to actually how little I knew, okay, and like, you know, a, a, a mentor that we both shared, okay, like Charles Poliquin, okay, you know, love him or hate him, yeah okay, but I say this all the time, like what Charles gave to me, I'm never going to be able to repay. I'm never going to be able to repay because when I did, my first buy signature with Charles. Okay, when I did that, okay, five days. I literally got. I took an entire notebook of notes. Yeah, okay, I still got it uh, today. It's a little bit like a, like a trophy. Yeah, okay. Like I just filled it up with notes, and in that moment with Charles, okay, I realized that I knew nothing. I realized I knew nothing, and then basically I realized I needed to get better. Okay. And so I'm not talking about the information he gave me, but he gave me the motivation to be better. And from that point on, I remember I actually had, you know, 10 minutes with Charles where I sat down and I, I, like, I had this concept of like, you know, holistic health and like getting this out to the masses, you know, something that didn't really focus on a monotherapy and encompassed like a whole heap of different modalities and ideologies and, that turned out into a reality in, in, in like, the, the facility, like, element, set up, yeah, okay, that. But really when I sat down with him for that 10 minutes, yeah, okay, and I was just getting bombarded with all this information over those five days and I asked him, I go, like, what do you think I need to focus on? To Like, this is the concept I've got. And he said, this is a great concept. He goes, but everything, it, like, everything you're learning here from me now means nothing if you're not prepared to go away okay, and research it to the nth degree beyond anything that anyone else is willing to do, okay? And, like, for me, that those words ring in my ear today, okay, because it's exactly what I did. It's exactly what I did. I went away and I researched gut health and the internal environment of the body to nauseating extent, Okay. To the extent where you know, when I speak to people, they go, "Oh my god, like this is complete overload." But I, I just, I just realised for me to really help people, I really needed to understand how the the human body function a way better than I did when I first encountered Charles Paul. Okay, so that was like a real, real shift for me. And then I would say the other thing that was just a huge shift for me. Was my own failing health, and you know what? It actually probably comes back to what you said right at the start. And you know, like you, aesthetically, you would have looked at me. I had a six pack, and you know, I, you know, I, I looked healthy, and I was dying on the inside. Okay, like I was dying on the inside, and you know, without going too deep into this scenario, because you've like you've heard this before, okay. But basically. You know, whether you want to say I reached, like, adrenal exhaustion, okay, or HPA dysfunction or whatever you want to label it as, okay, basically I just pushed my body to the brink, okay, and it was just a combination of, like, too much allostatic load, so, you know, physiological stress and emotional stress and all these things piled up on top of each other, okay, and then unfortunately that stress really deteriorated the internal environment of my gut. Okay, and when it, when it deteriorated, the internal environment of my gut, you know, even though I was, like, eating healthy food and, like, that completely changed how I even interact with healthy food. Yeah. Okay, and then basically I would say that was the catalyst for me to basically say, you know what, I'm not an example of what I'm preaching. And, and from that point on, okay, I just... I actually healed myself, okay? I dived even deeper into, like, the the solutions to how we really rectify these problems, okay? Um, And that's what led me to go down the path of looking at things like blood markers, gut health, okay? Um, Because I actually, my own journey, I healed myself, okay? And then quickly I realized what I learned and what I created and what, what I used to heal myself, was there a possibility that, this could start to actually help to heal other people as well.
0: And now you've been doing it, you know, you you actually created the thing that you you spoke about with Charles and I I didn't actually know about that conversation that you guys had. So that's, that's cool to hear. um, Yeah. He's uh, definitely had some powerful words. I had had a half hour with him in England after uh, one of the Biosig events as well, or during, during the Biosig event. Yeah. Very, very powerful, powerful human. very strong opinions. And, you know that he was going all in on, on, on what he did and everything that he did. And I think he inspired, you know, I know so many people who spent time with Charles who now have gone on and, and made a really big impact. When I look at, like, a lot of the coaches that I respect most that I'm, like, interested to see what they're up to or I would like to, you know, have these conversations with, they've come through that, that system. And some of it is the technical knowledge, but I think a lot of it is just how much, Passion, you know how much energy, how much certainty that Charles was able to, to sort of express, and the ability to go against against the grain, um, relevant to this conversation, but against the norms, like that courage that he had. And how do you go with like? Because basically your your paradigm cha- challenges the medical paradigm, and you know every you know the, the dominant paradigm. Miss Polly had a dolly who was sick, and, and and they didn't call Dave O'Brien; they called the doctor. You know, so how do you how do you go with the indoctrination that people have had about the medical system versus, you know, a personal trainer that wants to get them blood tested?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's a really good question. And look, like obviously like I have had to deal with like the the realms of the, like the medical realms, like for a long period of time now. Okay. The one thing like I, I really want to get across, okay. is like, cause obviously, you know, that I, I teach a lot of trainers how to uh, read things like blood markers. Yeah, okay. One thing I want to get across, I'm not necessarily teaching trainers how to cure someone with MS, okay, or some sort of autoimmune disease, okay. Now, I'm just going to make it relevant to the trainer. Does that make sense? Because if this individual that the trainer is dealing with, whether that's an athlete, whether it's general population, okay, whoever that might be, okay they've got some sort of like underlying gastrointestinal issue, okay? And if I just use like just an example, okay, like once again, I'm not going to get caught caught too much up in the actual condition that I'm talking about here, but something like SIBO, like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, okay? Now, if you really want to know like the major culprit behind something like IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, okay, like 70% of all IBS symptoms are actually related to something like SIBO, which is essentially a gut motility issue. Okay, now let's make it relevant to the trainer. Okay, so someone who has SIBO comes to the trainer, okay, and then the trainer just abides by some sort of like structure that they were taught at either university or, you know, through whoever whoever like uh, they were taught, you know, whatever ideology that might be, okay, and then they just apply that particular periodization, that particular programming to this individual okay, without taking into consideration, potentially they may have a complication like SIBO, okay? And then within that, they might give them particular types of energy system training that might be more lactate power, more aerobic power, more lactate capacity. You now, obviously, without going too far into the different energy systems, okay, well, obviously they're accum- accumulating more lactic acid, more lactate, okay? And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. You and You and I know this is a good thing okay it increases your capacity to to to, to deal with lack, lack like like lact- it increases your lactate threshold okay now obviously accumulating more lactate also helps with things like helps with the secretion of growth hormone from the anterior pituitary gland okay so, so i'm not taking away from the benefit okay but what we need to understand with something like SIBO okay one of the byproducts from bacteria is lactic acid Okay, one of the byproducts, because you get gas exchange, you get more release of hydrogen ions, more hydrogen sulfide. The hydrogen ions okay, create, the hydrogen sulfide creates more epithelial permeability, so more hyperpermeability in the gut lining. Okay, more hydrogen ions stimulate these receptors in your gut called TRPV1 receptors, causes more vaso-relaxation. Okay, but if we look at when I do something like a bicep curl, Okay, obviously, it's the accumulation of lactate that makes my bicep fatigue, okay? And from a chemical standpoint, okay, that's basically two pyruvate molecules, so like glucose, okay, one hydrogen ion molecule, and it's the accumulation of the hydrogen ions that make my bicep fatigued. okay? So I want you to think about, it. if I've got excessive amounts of hydrogen ions because I've got a bacterial overgrowth in my small intestine, okay? then how do you think I'm going to feel when I go do more lactate capacity, lactate power, aerobic power, where I'm going to accumulate more lactate or more glycolytics. So I'm doing like higher rep ranges. Okay. I'm not, once again, keeks. I'm not having to go at these things. That makes sense. Okay. But you understand for that individual with SIBO, if they go do that type of training, like hip training, boot camp, okay, lots of conditioning work, okay, that is going to be like a nightmare come true. Okay, because you understand they struggle to clear the excess amounts of lactate out of the system. Okay. And so the problem is the next day they've been they feel like they've been hit by a mat truck. Okay. They get really bad delayed onset muscle soreness. So they're sore for days. And you and you and you and I know, okay, someone who's sore for days and days, okay, and can't like that's a sign that they can't clear out the lactate. Okay. But most people would associate that with being like an exceptionally good workout yeah okay so you understand what i'm saying is i'm saying that without that knowledge okay you can be applying and i'm not having to go at like the periodization and the programming does that make sense okay because ultimately the goal should be to get the the person's base their foundations right and guess what then the frameworks of what you've been taught around periodization and so forth then it's going to work in that scenario Okay, but for someone who's got that particular gastrointestinal issues, and then you use those types of energy systems in that scenario, okay, are you going to make their problem worse? You're going to make their problem worse. Is that potentially leading them more towards you know serious health ailments and diseases? Okay, well yes, it's a, it's an exacerbator and it can contribute to it. Okay, now if I can deal with like you know strength and conditioning coaches, okay, personal trainers, and just go look, we don't necessarily need to even heal the SIBO or we don't even need to, you know, heal the, the, the autoimmune conditions. But at least if we can identify that that's a problem, okay, now from a periodization perspective, can I use, go, well, this energy system is actually going to be better for them, like creatine phosphate, a lactic power, a lactic capacity, okay, they have a better ability to recover, repair from that, okay, so more like strength, maybe I'll keep the rep ranges in functional hypertrophy and that would be my top end that I'm going to keep the volume, okay, and more oxidation. like so if I use more oxidation, like steady state, okay, then providing more oxygen is going to help me to clear the excess amounts of lactate. Yeah, Okay, so, so, so you understand what I'm saying? I know, I know it's, there's a lot of information in there, but what I'm saying is without that information and without that knowledge, okay, could potentially a strength and conditioning coach and a personal trainer encounter someone, okay, and then what they're about to apply to the individual pushes that individual over the edge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important point that that you're making, Dave. Like whether we're talking about professional athletes or we're talking about, you know, everyday Joes, we know that a lot of people really struggle with motivation to train and and getting back consistently for, for sessions, et cetera if we look at, you know, what could be going on underlying that, like what can we actually change about the brain neurochemistry or about, you know, as you talk about like the ability to deal with lactate, etc., then we can, we can have better results. We can have higher compliance. We can have better adaptation to training. And it's not a question of do you train or do you you know not train? We know that bed rest is not going to be the solution for anyone, anytime really, you know? Um, so it's like, which, which ways can we train people that are going to have the most impact? So what you're saying there is training more maximal strength or lower rep range stuff is actually going to be better tolerated and help some people with underlying health issues to get their results faster than the the interval training that is like, you know, all, all those brands that you mentioned, like they're kind of the dominant, the biggest brands that people think they need to do. You know, for fat loss, but with the underlying issues, if people are getting massively sore, uh, if they're not able to to recover from them, then you know, actually, you know, the other methods would be much more effective in terms of getting the result that they they really want.
1: Well, one hundred percent, Kix, and 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 the big thing to say is that, like, if that's actually exacerbating the bacterial issue, okay and then the bacteria is just releasing more bacterial byproducts into the system, okay, then that's just adding to the inflammatory load. Yeah. Okay? And, like, once again, it goes, goes back to what we talked about right at the start, and I said, like, one of the, the biggest, you know, limiting factors for performance would be inflammation or, like, too much inflammatory load. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay? And so, once again, okay, that. I'm not having to go at the the energy system and so forth, but by applying that, okay, it's creating more inflammation, okay? There's excessive amounts of hydrogen ions, and you are having those chemical reactions that I'm talking about. You are potentially creating more epithelial permeability. You are potentially creating more vasorelaxation in the gut, like gastric dumping, okay? You know, the person's, you you know, they're going to be more fatigued, they're more lethargic, they're more tired, okay? And then, once again, if they've got something like SIBO, then there can be excessive excessive amounts of histamine, okay? And excessive amounts of histamine also makes your gut more permeable. And then the, and then further down the line, that could lead to things like histamine intolerance, okay? And then when you've got histamine intolerance, okay, I'm telling you, you're going to have no energy, you're lethargic, you're tired, okay? And then the histamine can't play on the, that like, for example, like the H2 receptors in the paratel cells in your stomach lining, okay? And when that when that when it binds with the receptors, it helps with the release of things like gastric acid, hydrochloric acid, intrinsic factor. Okay, so we're talking about stomach acid. Okay, so then your ability to interact with things like protein, like protein synthesis. So then you start to have protein mal digestion, protein malabsorption, absorption. Okay, you know you have problems separating the, the the lipids from the from the protein. You have problems separating the B twelve from the protein. Okay, um, and then. And also, like, you look at it, like, hydrochloric acid is antimicrobial in the stomach lining, okay? So it stops the proliferation, okay, of things like helicobacter, okay? So these people get, like, H. pylori overgrowth. The only reason I'm sort of bringing this up, you can see, like, this, like, like it's like the domino effect, isn't it? Okay? So anyone,
0: up- anyone, anyone who gets a calorie-restricted diet... If, if you don't let someone eat, they're going to lose, they're going to lose fat. You know, like if if you make someone do 10 hours of hard labor or, you know, you, you, you expose them to massive amounts of, of training volume, then they're going to have a change in body composition. But the reason, you know, why people struggle so much with compliance, why they're not getting the result that they really want, why it's not sustainable can come back to other issues that just not going to be addressed. You know, it's it's all sexy and well and good to say flexible dieting and you know have have your weekends and and have your body too, etc. But if if there's clearly other stuff going on and, and the recovery is not there and the mind is not you know where 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 you want it to be, um, then there are all these other factors that are going to interact with training. And if it seems like you're you know what you're getting across, Dave, is like if coaches just understand and have the tools to be able to evaluate what's going on with the underlying physiology, then they would get better compliance and they would get better results, which, you know, the, the challenge for a lot of coaches is why well, just I'm not making enough money to, to support myself, I don't, you know, I can't afford these new courses in education because I'm, I'm not making any money. If it comes back to these base, you know, needs of what trainers want. If you if 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 you get that underlying physiology sorted, or even just match their training to their current physiology without even trying to to really uh, change it too much, you're more than likely going to see them make some shifts in not you know not snacking on you know, stuff that's going to cause these issues or, you know, getting to bed a bit earlier or all these other things that are going to help the underlying physiology. If you can just get them off to a good start and and make the training match their physiology, then, you know, we might be able to go on that longer journey that we really want to take people on where they become passionate about their own health and they actually, you know, they value their health um, more so than just that superficial,
1: you know, do I look good? You know, can I lift a heavy weight? Uh, Yeah, like 100% because, like, once again, it it comes down to keys. like if they have those underlying problems and then you apply things that contribute to that stress load, you and I know it's only a matter of time, okay, until that client obviously potentially something bad happens, okay, or that client just drops off okay yeah. because they just can't deal with the fact that they're lethargic and they're tired and they're exhausted all the time okay there's only so much the person will be able to tolerate that for yep. okay? Yeah. okay and
0: i um, both experienced that a bunch as well i think that's good to to mention like i i also went through adrenal fatigue stuff and had a lot of gut issues after my years in in latin america you know living on tortillas and beans didn't didn't work very well for, for my gut um, and I had times where I really couldn't tolerate training uh, you know much at all either and I didn't understand what was going on and you know going through biosignature helped but I th- you know there were a lot of gaps potentially in the biosignature system uh, as well what are you th- what's the future of this you know now that you know Charles Poliquin unfortunately has, has passed on like I see you as one of the key guys that can kind of carry the baton and 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 really um you know keep inspiring coaches to 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 study this and to apply this like what what is the future of of this like what should a coach do if they they get what you're saying and they do want to do the work to be able to
1: interact on this level like what next yeah i mean you know me like one of the big you know one of the big tools that i utilize and you know, I've even created like a blood, you know, blood software based on it. Okay. Is like looking at something like blood markets. Yeah. Okay. And like one, one, you know, one big factor that I want to like, you know, get across to people here. Okay. Is that, and I'm not trying to have a go at people. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to have a go at past systems and so forth, but. It's easy to see Dave that you want to
0: help. And it's important to look at the, the limitations of what we're doing now. Like that's the only way good stuff happens. And there's too much self censorship now, for the fear of like someone's going to disagree with this, or you know this isn't in line with the, the dominant paradigm. So People won't actually even express their ideas. So I appreciate you, you know, you having the courage. And I, I'm, I'm sure that anyone listening to this can see that whether they agree with you, you know, you or the sentiment of the podcast or not, they're going to know that. You really want to help people, and and you're super passionate about this. You've researched what you're talking about really well. Like,
1: um,
0: um, yeah, don't apologize
1: yeah. for being, <laughs> you know, what you're doing. It's, it's such important work. Yeah, I mean, and look, look. There's one thing that you know in the current mod model of how we look at something like blood markers. We've spoken about this like many times. Okay, is that how we, how we're looking at blood markers? Okay, is we're looking at very linear. Okay, and I'll just say it's like really black and white. So, what I mean by this, if we looked at a particular blood marker, and just as an example, we looked at something like hemoglobin, which is to do with like your red blood cells. Okay, how we're looking at these blood markers is we're basically going, well, this is low. Okay, so what can I do to boost up your hemoglobin? The issue that I have with that is you understand that the hemoglobin is low, and that is a symptom of a bigger problem. It's a symptom. No, I'm not in it. I'm not in it to fix symptoms. Okay. I'm in it to fix the actual causes of those symptoms. Okay. And what we need to understand is when you have like something like low hemoglobin, there's a reason that you've got low hemoglobin. And maybe in the moment of time, that's okay if it's a little bit low. But if it's consistently low, why is the reason that it's consistently low? And that's what we've got to get to the bottom of. Okay. And we're not going to address that by just looking at the hemoglobin. Oh, here you go. Take iron to try and boost up your hemoglobin. Okay. What's next? Yeah. Your white blood cells are low. Here you go. Take this to try and boost up your white blood cells. Okay. Like when I look at people's blood markers, I go, okay, so this is low. This is high. This is high. This is low. And I look at the past trends. I don't want to just look at what's going on in that moment in time. Okay. I want to look at what's been happening over the last five years. Okay. Because the trend's going to tell me what the problem is. Okay, because the way to look at it, healthy bloods, they will ebb and flow. Okay, one time they're a little bit high and then they're, then they're normal. Okay, then they're low, then they're optimal, then they're optimal, then they're high. And I look at it and go, well, oh, that's pretty healthy. Okay, but people go, oh, that's erratic. That's all over the place. They go, yeah, that's normal. What's not normal, okay, is just something like, you know, my white blood cell count is all low, 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 low. Yeah, okay, that's something chronic. That's something that's not going away. It's not getting better. Does that make sense? Yeah, Okay. And so it's really important for people to understand is like I'm looking at the correlations between all the blood markers and when I see something is low and that that's high and then that's high and then that's low and then this is high and this is high, yeah, okay, that's a reflection of this problem, okay, and it's that problem we have to fix to realign this, okay. So you're like if I give you like an example, okay, let's stick with the hemoglobin aspect. I was talking to some people about this today, okay. So if they look and look at it and see that you've got low hemoglobin, one thing that they may um, you, one thing that they may come up with as like a remedy for that is they're going to go, okay, so take iron. So take iron to boost up your hemoglobin. Okay, so these are all the components that make up something like hemoglobin. Okay, so you've got iron, iron. So it's one factor. Okay, you've got B six, which is pyridoxine, it's B vitamin. Okay, you have got B twelve, which is cabalamin, Okay, you got B nine, which is folate. Okay, you've got vitamin A, you've got copper, okay, you've got glycine. Okay, so non essential amino acid, but I would say conditionally essential. Second most abundant amino acid in the body, I'd say that's pretty essential. Yeah, okay. Um, So then you've got what helps you metabolize the glycine, okay, because glycine is the building block for him. Okay, what helps you metabolize the glycine? Let's go a step further Estrachea coli, E. coli, bacteria. Okay, what helps you synthesize the B9? Streptococcus thermophilus—it's bacteria. Okay, so I've mentioned nine things there. Nine things that I need to ensure that I've got good hemoglobin. How can we determine that it always comes down to one thing? Okay, and the potential problem here is if if I look at the correlations and then I establish that this person has something like negative gram bacteria overgrowth. To understand when you've got something like negative gram bacteria overgrowth, okay, it's linked to women's health ailments like polycystic ovaries. Okay, it's things like urinary tract infections, meningitis, pneumonia. Okay, you know autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis. Yeah, okay, so it's linked to a lot of the serious health ailments that we're dealing with currently in modern society. Okay, and so if you have the negative gram bacteria overgrowth, okay, negative gram bacteria because they've had to adapt, and I'm sure you know this, Keegs. Okay, bacteria when it comes to an adaptation process, they adapt way quicker than us. Okay, it's not even a competition. Does that make sense? Okay, and what have they had to adapt to? They've had to adapt to things like antibiotics. Okay, so instead of having like, you know, two cell membranes, okay, which negative gram bacteria does, and I don't want to demonize negative gram bacteria because we've got non-pathogenic, which means good stuff, and we've got pathogenic. Okay, and even the, even the, the pathogenic in a, in, a, in a correct environment serve a purpose. Does that make sense? It's when we've got ratio issues that it becomes a problem. Okay, now to adapt to things like antibiotics, they colonize, they get together, and they form a biofilm. So, an example of biofilm like plaquing on your teeth. Okay, and that's made up of things like DNA, fluids, proteins, ions, also heavy metals. They extract the heavy metals and they use that as a protective membrane. Super smart. Bacteria is super smart, super adaptable. Okay, they use things like lead, cadmium, okay, Uh, mercury. Okay, but guess what? They also use iron. Okay. So if I use the iron supplementation, the iron infusions, okay, and if they have the negative gram bacteria issues, what have I potentially done with that problem? Made it even worse. Okay. And this is the problem when I'm addressing it linear. Because I have the potential to make that individual's problem worse. One more example, which I think is really relevant to a lot of people. Okay. So you've got something like Billy Rubin. Don't want to get caught up too much in the weeds of the actual, you know, the actual blood marker, okay? But bilirubin is a byproduct from hemoglobin breakdown, okay? And a lot of the time, people can have like an excessive amount of bilirubin in the bloodstream, okay? And that would be a sign of some sort of obstruction. And a lot of the time, if we look at it linear again, kids okay? If we look at it linear, then we go, okay, so if I've got elevated bilirubin, I potentially have got problems with things like bile, bile salts, Okay, so that means I'm going to struggle with fat emulsification. Okay. So you're going to struggle to break down fats. So I could look at that problem and go, uh, what should I do with this individual? Don't eat so many fats. Okay. So then they don't eat so many fats. Okay. If they're not going to eat many fats, are they probably going to eat more carbohydrates? Okay. So if they start eating more carbohydrates, and the reason they're getting the backload of the bilirubin in the bloodstream is because they've got an obstruction in the small intestine. Okay. That's actually causing them not to be able to release enough things like bile salts, bile, and bilirubin into the duodenum and into the small intestine so they get a backload of the bilirubin in the bloodstream. The problem is the obstruction. Would you agree with that? Okay? And that obstruction could be something like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and SIFO, small intestinal fungal overgrowth. Okay? And the one thing we know with something like SIBO and CIFO, what do they feed on? Carbohydrates. Okay, so if I looked at it linear, okay, and then basically go, well, don't eat so many fats because you're not breaking them down properly. Okay, and I give them more carbohydrates. What have I done with that problem? I've made it worse. Okay, and when I've made it worse, and I get, am I going to get even a higher backload of the bilirubin in the bloodstream? And is that going to put more pressure on the biliary ducts and the gallbladder? Okay, it puts more pressure on the gallbladder. You get things like gallstones. Okay. You get things like uh, gallbladder infections, okay, and then it will get to a point where what do you think they're going to do to your gallbladder?
0: Take it out.
1: Take it out, okay? And the thing is, and this is this is, this is the point that I get across to people, because you remove the gallbladder, do you think that gets rid of the SIBO and the CFO Not at all. So they're still there. So, so the thing is the cause, the problem is still there. Okay. And then that is going to start to manifest with other health ailments. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's, there's so much here, Dave. Like I I think, you know, what, you know, what I'm hearing is that if you really want to get the best results as a coach and you want to be able to, you know, have more, more tools for for keeping people in the game with you, for helping them go on a lifelong journey towards optimal performance, then, there, is, there are more factors uh, to consider and even just having this you know, knowledge and perspective, it really throws out the idea of, you know, if it fits your macros, it's fine or, you know, as long as you get in a calorie deficit, everything's, everything's going to be fine. Like, yes, that makes sense to get someone on stage, but the majority of humanity is not interested in getting on stage. What they want to do is, is live a great life. They want energy. They want to, you know, they want to train well, feel proud of themselves and feel, you know, empowered in their bodies. This underlying these underlying factors are going to have such a, a huge impact. So, um, I really really appreciate your time today, Dave, and all the energy that you've put into this. Like this is decades of, um, you know, focused research and application. And you've taught this, you know, you taught this to your fifth element wellness um, coaches relentlessly. And, and you know now you're passing it on more and more to to bigger audiences um, and other coaches. Around the world, I think this is such important work that um, it's definitely uh, you know it's more in demand than ever before. As you say, with the, the clean uh, clean eating is more in demand. Well, your coaches with this perspective who won't just think that more work and less calories is is the solution to everyone's uh, challenges. Like this perspective needs to needs to grow and, and um, yeah. I'm excited to see you know, your blood uh, marker software continue to, to sort of grow and get out some more people. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for all the work that you're, that you're doing and uh, look forward to, you know, continuing this this journey with you and,
1: and following uh, your, your learning teachings. Yeah. So like, look, I just want to thank you, Keeks. You know, I've got the so much respect for you as a, as a, as a human and, You know, as one of my close colleagues, you know what I mean? Because like everything that I've talked about here, you know, sometimes like our specialty and like what we're offering can be a little bit different, but the one thing I know like a hundred percent, okay, is that the message is the same. Yeah, the 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 message is the same. Like it's, uh, and, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm so glad to be on this journey with you, mate.